Well, I'm excited. We're kicking off a brand new series called Living Beyond Myself. And I kick it off this morning, even though it's Labor Day. Um, and it's going to continue on through the 23rd. And then on the 23rd, we're going to actually have a ministry fair outside. And we're going to have food and a lot of fun stuff. And then also an opportunity for you to learn more information about ministries that we have. But also an opportunity for you to sign up to serve because that's going to be the goal of this message. Because when you think about the Christian faith, it really boils down, I think, to a few elements. First is that you and I are made to know and love God. And it's a greatest commandment. And then also is fellowship, is to love our neighbors, to love the people around us and how to learn how to do that. So you really boil it down, those first two elements, and it's all about love, learning how to love. And that's not easy. It's difficult. It's a challenge. And God helps us with that. Next is what we would call discipleship, where, where you're growing in your faith. And that's my job as a pastor. Ephesians is very clear is that the goal of any kind of pastor is to equip the people, is to empower them in their faith. So uh, that's my number one goal is to help you grow in your faith. And lastly, uh, another element of the Christian faith is to serve. In this whole series, serving beyond, or living beyond myself is about serving. And this morning I'm going to talk about the fact that you're wired, that you're shaped to serve. And when it comes to serving, it's very important for us. And someone who seemed to live beyond himself was Elvis Presley. Because Elvis, uh, his, his desire with his music was to write songs, record songs, to really touch a number of people. In fact, he sold 250 million uh, albums. And uh, by the way, last week, if you weren't here, uh, the staff gave me a gift. They gave me this gnome, this Elvis gnome. Do you remember that? Some of you were here. Gnomes are hideous to me. They're evil. I can't stand them. So if you look back up next to the screen up there, someone thought it'd be pretty cool to put the Elvis gnome. <laughs> so this entire sermon, that imp, that imp is staring at me. Okay? And it's the Elvis one. So it's just apropos. It ties in very nicely. Um, but Elvis has relevance even 41 years after his death. He still has relevance in our society. It's amazing. In fact, if you saw Blade Runner 2049 with uh, Ryan Gosling, there's this scene where he's in this bar and all of a sudden this sort of hologram of uh, Elvis shows up. We're going to show a clip of that. Ryan Gosling, if you don't know the movie, he's on the run, and he finds himself in that room, and all of a sudden Elvis, and then you saw Marilyn Monroe as well. But Elvis has relevance. In fact, uh, when you, you actually look at him, and I did some research in Parade Magazine, that he not only sold uh, 250 million albums, but also that he, uh, claimed, he claims about a billion or so fans around the world, even to this day, and that, in fact, he starred in 33 films. And even though 41 years after his death, he's actually one of the highest paid entertainers. He, his estate grossed $35 million last year. He's been dead for 41 years. 
I mean, it's just, there's something about Elvis that's, that's just uh, inherent in terms of the American culture. Uh, however, in an interview that Priscilla Presley provided for that same magazine, she said this uh, at, not too long after the death of Elvis. Uh, Elvis that suffered from obesity and drug, drug dependency. She said this, Elvis never came to terms with who or what he was meant to be or what his purpose in life was. He thought he was here for a reason, maybe to preach or to save or to serve or care for people. And the, that agonizing desire, Priscilla says, was always in him and he knew he wasn't fulfilling. So he would go on stage and he wouldn't have to think about it. She says this, Elvis hadn't a clue about where to begin to look. In a sense, he was lost. And I think in a sense, a lot of people, a lot of people are like Elvis. They don't have a clue why they're here. They're not quite sure what the reason is for their lives. This morning, what I want us to do is for us to really look at one of the God, God's purposes for our lives, besides to know and love him, besides to love those around us, besides to grow in our faith. Also important is to serve, that you and I are made to serve. I invite you to turn to the New Testament book, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at chapter 2, verse 10. You can follow on your teaching notes or with the slides behind me as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Let me pray for us as we start together. God in heaven, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would work in a powerful way. God, I sense that there's people here that are clinging on to life, that need to hear a fresh word from you, that they need to feel a touch from you, feel your presence. So God, I pray, I pray that you magnify this Sunday morning, that you magnify this message, that you multiply it like the fish in the loaves of bread. And God, that you would feed your people and that we'd walk away with the desire, with the, 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 the want to serve those around us and to serve the people in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Paul is writing to a group of Christians here in Ephesus, and I've mentioned this many times. Perhaps you're new to this church or new to the scriptures. Ephesus was a cosmopolitan city. It boasted over 200,000 people. It was the Paris, the London, the New York City of the day. And as a result, Paul, as he writes Ephesians, you can break it down. The first three chapters about doctrine, the last three chapters about application. It's a great way to understand Ephesians because these people are living in a very pagan, a very dark culture. And there's idols around. In fact, one of the seven wonders of the world was a temple of Artemis that was right there in Ephesus. And, and that whole temple was pretty much around pagan living. And Paul is trying to remind them the purpose, the reason for, for living. He reminds them of this in verse 10, for we are God's what? Masterpiece. Perhaps you want to take, if you're taking notes this morning, right off to the side, uh, the, actually the Greek word is poema, and I've mentioned this many times before, P-O-E-M-A. It's where you get the, we get the English word poem, poema. I have a friend of mine, she has that, ta- that word tattooed on her shoulder, poema, because she wants to remember that she is God's song, she is God's poem, and she is unique. She is God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Now notice, Paul doesn't put a period there. It doesn't stop there. For what purpose? So that we can do the good things he planned long ago for us. So not only are we saved, redeemed, um, freed by the salvation of Jesus Christ, but the next step is to do good things, is to actually get on the playing field. 
that you and I are, met, are designed to do good things. And this sermon is all about that. He prepared in advance. You were created to make a contribution. You were designed for ministry. You're designed to make a difference. You're not here by an accident. God put you on this planet, planet Earth in 2018, right now, to make a specific contribution. Not just to take up space, not simply to take up oxygen, but to use your, use your resources in your life. You have a purpose here. And I want to really break this down in terms of when, when, when Paul says, you are God's masterpiece, dot, 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 in order to do good things, God has designed you uniquely. There is no one else like you. No one else with the same kind of gifts, temperament, abilities. You're unique. And I think in our culture and our world of comparison and wanting to be like that person, something is lost. For example, Gary Bowman. God has created Gary Bowman for a specific reason. And Gary Bowman has spiritual gifts. He has talents. He has abilities. He has experiences. And, and if Gary tries to be like, like Tom Lundberg, then something's lost. Okay? I hear whispering going on. We're not going to go there. Okay? We're gonna, we're just, I'm going to stay on track here. Okay? Gary put his head down. But something's lost, honestly. God needs Gary Bowman to be Gary Bowman. God needs you to be you. And when that doesn't happen, I believe there's a gap in the atmosphere. I don't want to get too metaphysical, but I really mean that. God designed you to be you. And when that doesn't happen, when you try to be somebody else, or, or perhaps you kind of pack it in and, and say, I'm just going to kind of, kind of coast it, something's lost there. Because God has a purpose for you here on planet Earth right now. Right now, I want you to write this down. What matters in life, what matters in life is not how long you live, but how you live. That's from Rick Warren. What matters in life is not how long you live, but how you live. What matters is not the duration of your life, but the donation of your life, says Warren. And the whole idea around Christianity is not about having a free ride on the planet until Jesus returns or until you die. It's, it's not about being a consumer. All of us are expected to, meet, to make a contribution. And here's the exciting thing, is that God has given you unique things, as I talked about in a, in a book that we're going to actually be going through in this series. You're going to have a chance to find out your spiritual gifts. Is a book called Shape. Let's go put, pull that up. And we're going to make that available where you can take an assessment on your, your spiritual gifts that you have, and then all S stands for spiritual gifts. H is heart. Uh, a is your abilities. P is personality. And E is experiences. And what this assessment is going to help you do is kind of find out where can I use that? Because God wants to use that. None of us are meant to be a consumer. But you're going to find that out in this series. I love what Job says in Job chapter 10 verse 8. Is that your hands shape me and form me. God not only made you unique, there's no one like you, but he has shaped you in a certain way. And then in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, I love what Peter says. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve other people, to serve one another. And when he says one another, he's talking about the people within the church. Now, some of us have gifts and abilities, and we use those 
in different ways in, in perhaps our job place, etc. And that's great. But, but Peter's emphasis and also Paul's emphasis, the New Testament writers, is to serve those in your church community. That's your primary place of using your gifts and your abilities. It's very clear. I want you to write this down, that one of my primary uh, purposes in life is to serve God by serving others. Now, a lot of people want to serve God, but they don't want to serve people. Well, that's impossible. Okay, God's not visible here on planet Earth. Uh, you're, gonna, you're not going to really find him to, to serve him. He's actually giving you people around your life. He's giving people in this church, our children, our students, our adults, our senior citizens, for you to serve them. That's how we serve God, by serving other people. And then in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, I love this passage. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. So what I want us to do for the rest of this message is really look at the example of Jesus. Because for us to serve, for us to live beyond ourselves, to live beyond myself, I need to look at the example of Jesus. To learn how to serve like Jesus. Because each of us, as I mentioned, are called to do ministry. And you may think, well, that's what Pastor Craig does. Well, that's what the staff does. That's what missionaries do. No, the Bible's very clear. Everybody's a minister. In fact, in the Greek, the, the word for minister and uh, servant or serving is the same word. If, you're serve, if you serve, you're a minister. If you're a minister, you serve. It's interchangeable. So perhaps you want to go to your friends and family, maybe, or maybe you want to post on Facebook and say, hey, I just found out today I'm a minister. And see what kind of reaction you get. And they may say, well, you don't have a seminary degree or you don't know everything about the Bible. You don't need to. You are a minister. You are a minister and you have a God-ordained ministry. And I want to encourage you as you find out your shape, your spiritual gift or gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experiences, and then to leverage that in serving those around you. We're created for service. Now, number one, Learning how to serve like Jesus means, number one, that to be available. That's the first fill in the blank. Be available. And before I get to the example of Jesus, because we see this over and over where Jesus is available, we just came off our staff retreat. We were up north. We took a, pic, uh, a picture up there. And we're on this pontoon boat. We had a great time. And it seems like almost every other year we do a staff retreat, and we're on a pontoon boat, and it quits on us in the middle of the lake. And that happened right there. So we had to wait for we had to wait for like one of the neighbors of the house, and it wasn't it wasn't the, the, the fault of the of the pond, something something happened, and we were just like up there singing songs and doing whatever, and I don't know, I was trying to fish and to catch anything, and anyways, we're stuck in this pontoon boat, so it's almost like staff retreat equals being stranded on a boat in the middle of a lake. This is up by Emily, Minnesota, off of Roosevelt Lake. Anyways, our staff retreat, we spent a few days just talking about and praying about how to serve this church, how to serve uh, the people here. And in my conversations, not only in the staff retreat, but also in the, the, our weekly staff meetings that we always have and the monthly one-on-ones I have with our staff, as I talk to Quinn Boss, our associate children's director, for example, one of the things that keep coming up is the challenge for her to find people, to find people to, to actually serve. And what it seems like the challenge is is that people are not available. Because she tells me, if they would just give it a try, if they would just give it a try, 
they would find out how rewarding it is. So she has this kiosk. Let's pull that picture up. Do we have that up there? Am I getting ahead of myself? Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyways, uh, so, so one of the things that Quinn talks about, though, is the importance of being available. We'll look, look at that picture in a second. But one of the things that we see in this example of Jesus is where he's, he's walking to the city of Jer- Jericho. And he says, two blind men shouted, and they said, Lord, have mercy on us. And, and it, says, it says that they have mercy upon us. And then Jesus stopped. This is not in your teaching notes, but I want you to note this. These two blind men said to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on us. And then Jesus stopped. You may want to write that down. Because we see that over and over in terms of Jesus Christ. He stops. He stops. He stops. He has these interruptions. In other words, he's available. He stopped and he called them. What do you want me to do for them? And I think more and more we have to stop. For you and I to stop, it's so important. I love what Proverbs chapter 3, verse 28 says. It says this, If you can t- help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow, and then I'll help you then. And for us who are procrastinators, this is a good verse for us. And, and right next to this verse, I want you to write that word stop, or stopped. Because that is serving like Jesus. Is that over and over he has these interruptions he has the leper, he has the blind man, he has the official son, and he gets stopped, he gets stopped, and he gets stopped, and he makes capacity in his life. And I talked about this last week. One of my learnings from my sabbatical was to have room in my life, margin in my life, where I can be available. It's so important. Instead of waiting till tomorrow, instead of waiting till next week, is actually be available to be stopped. Divine interruptions. And that's how we serve, is by being available. And, and one of the things that I want you to think about, and maybe ask the question, are you available to God right now? Because we have over 125 children in this church. And as I talked to Quinn, again, one of the things that she emphasized, she just said, I wish more and more people would be available. So she has up, set up this kiosk, if you go out the, the lobby or the sanctuary, it's to your left, and she has all these cards listed there. And this is one of the cards. And this is for his kids, which is going on right now, our children's ministries, his kids' elementary, your name, email, phone, and then what you're interested in. And we need more people in our children's ministries. Over 80% of adults make their decision for Jesus Christ before the age of 18. Children's ministries is a very important, a very strategic part of our church community. It is not some room like we, we shoot the kids in there, throw some videos up and just kind of keep them quiet, throw some candy at them or something, uh, you know, animal crackers, whatever it is, and then, okay, mom and dad are, uh, will be back. No, it's a very instrumental time. We see that time, Quinn sees that time as a very critical time for them to learn about God and how to love God, how to love um, others. How to respect your parents, for example. And I want to I have, if you're, not, if you're here and you are not involved in any kind of ministry, is begin thinking about perhaps children's ministries. How could I help out? And maybe it's after you learn your shape, um, as you learn about your spiritual gifts and your heart, your abilities. That might be the place on, uh, on September 23rd when we do the ministry fair that you stop by our children's ministries table. That's going to be outside. They stop by and say, hey, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm nervous. 
I'm, I'm, I'm worried about doing this, but I'm going to give it a shot. It's like Lisa Wolford. She shared this story with me and shared it on stage a couple years ago uh, that Lisa was uh, wanted to serve in children's ministries, but she didn't know much about the Bible. And she told me it was one of the best things that she did because God taught her the Bible as she ministered and made herself available to God and, and the children. I absolutely love that story. So being available is very important as we learn to serve like Jesus. Now, there's some barriers. And these barriers to being available, we're all cognizant of that. This is something that the staff and I talk about quite a bit. Let's walk through these. Barriers to being available, number one, is where we're self-centered. And, and I don't mean that in, in, ter- in terms of a negative connotation, but we have our agenda, we have our plans, we have our things, we're too busy, and, and we, can't, we really can't be available. We just want to go to church and then cruise as soon as it's done. But I want you to push away against that and say, I want to serve. I want to make it available because really, if the bulk of the ministry, if, if, if the things that happen here are relying upon me and our staff, it's not going to work. The church utterly is a volunteer-based community. It really is. I want you to think about that, of how you can make space perhaps to sign up to serve, whether it's children's or students or what have you. Next one. Another barrier to uh, being available is perfectionism. And that happens, and I'm a perfectionist. It's like, well, I, I don't know if I, if I can serve in that area because, you know what, it's got to be a certain way, and I'm afraid that if I, I don't have the talents, or I, it's just not going to work out. And, and, and you, I think most of you know I have a value for excellence. I have a value for quality. But also, it gets to a point where you have to say, it's good enough. It's good enough. Because perfectionism can turn into an idol where it's not so much about the service anymore or actually serving others. It's about what's accomplished. That becomes the end. That, that, that thing you do is like amazing instead of serving others the way God wants you to serve. The other barrier to perfection or to, to um, availability is the material world where we spend more time on our boat. We spend more time on our things. We spend more time on our possessions. Now, I don't want to say those are bad things. But perhaps is taking some of that time to say, you know what? I'm going to make myself available to serve God by serving others. And I think that's important, important for us. All right, next. As we learn to serve like Jesus, we ought to be grateful. Be grateful. It's one of the most healthy emotions that doctors and studies have said that you can have is gratefulness. It's amazing. There's study after study after study that you look at when people have gratitude as a part of their life of what kind of positive connotations that has on their physical and their mental and their emotional health. There's something about gratitude. It's just like a catalyst for really living life. But this gratefulness. And, and it's, it's something that we see, and I'm going to, sh- and we're going to talk about it in a second, where Jesus, in this amazing passage, this story where he brings his best friend Lazarus back to life. We see that gratefulness. But before we get to that, um, it's, it's pretty cool in our student ministry during the summer, a number of students and Sam Randall, our student ministries pastor, entirely renovated the student ministries room really to make it home and bring some cool things to the room. And there's a little picture of that. Let's go to the next one. And they got all this wood from these wood pallets, I think, they found in the trash can at Menards. I'm not sure if that's stealing or not, but they may was borrowing. 
But uh, it was a trash can, I think. Anyways, I shouldn't mention that. <laughs> Anyways, they, they weren't being used. And anyways, they, they took those and they refurbished them and, and really made a cool environment, a cool atmosphere for our students. And, and, and Sam mentioned this in our, in our staff retreat. I didn't have a chance to see it, but when I got back, uh, from the retreat this week, later on this, this past week, I had a chance to walk around the room. It was cool. As Sam was kind of walking me through the room, you could just see not only his excitement, but his gratefulness to have this room, to have this room. And I look over and I see the handprints of seniors that have graduated. He's just grateful for what, what the kids did because he said, I didn't, I didn't do much at all. It was all these high school students that worked so hard for like six, seven, eight hours, a couple of days, making this room possible. And I can sense in a, in a, in a, as he's sharing this gratefulness for what God is going to do in 2018 and 2019. And he's grateful to this church that we have a room just cut up, just available for him and his students because a lot of churches wouldn't allow that to happen. I mean, we used to do adult education in that room. Um, that looks vastly different from adult ed back in about five years ago. Would you agree, Tom? Very different, very different. This, this room has life to it. And, and Sam is so excited about this. And gratefulness and gratitude is so important for us when we serve. So important for when we, when we serve. Let's turn to John, John chapter 11. If you have a Bible, it's to your left, if you're new to the scriptures. John chapter 11, this remarkable story of Jesus when he comes to, and, and I could do like a, six-week series just on this story because there's so much going on. There's so many variables. It's a loaded passage. And we're going to start with this question that Jesus has in verse 34. John chapter 11, verse 34. He asks the question, where have you put him? He's talking about his best friend, best friend Lazarus, who has died. Where have you put him? He asked him. He's talking to Mary and Martha. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. Or in some translations, it's simply Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. The people who were standing nearby see how much, see how much he loved him. Because they say that, and it, it is sort of between the lines here, but when, it's, when it says that he wept, you may want to underline that, that word in your Bible. This wept isn't simply like tears coming down the cheek. I was watching, and perhaps some of you as well, the former Senator John McCain, and the different uh, funeral services in Arizona and also the National Cathedral. And I was watching the eulogies and watched Joe Biden's uh, eulogy for um, Senator McCain. And he had tears coming down his cheeks because he was such a good friend of McCain. And they had, they had this, this bond. In fact, they were criticized because uh, Biden was a Democrat and McCain was a Republican. And both their parties got mad because they'd be talking a lot. And they were good friends. And in politics, you're not supposed to do that, I guess, you know, but they're really good friends. And his funeral, I think, uh, really reflected with the kind, of John, the kind of person, the kind of character, the kind of honor, and the desire that John had in terms of really reaching across the aisle. But anyways, Joe, Joe had tears coming down his eyes. That's not this kind of crying. This is one of those crying that comes from deep in your gut. It's a guttural cry. It's one of those cries where you're like, your body's shaking, you're convulsing. It's a deep cry. You ever had a cry like that lately? Yeah, I remember when my mom died in January uh, 6, uh, 2004. At 5 o'clock in the morning, I walked outside after she had passed away after being in a coma for 17 hours, and then she woke up after that for just a few minutes. It was just a remarkable gift to me and my family. 
And I remember walking out, it was a full moon, and I just had this, like, strongest cry I've ever had in the longest time. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's the cry that Jesus had when he learned about Lazarus. And that's why the people say, see how he loved him. This deep, guttural cry. See how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven, and here it is. Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I say it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. And then later on he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. Notice before Lazarus comes to life, Jesus says, thank you. To serve like Jesus is to serve with gratitude. Maybe be before the ministry thing that you're going to engage in. God, thank you for the opportunity. And I was reflecting on that thought this morning, and, and as I was listening to the band rehearse, I was just like, God, thank you for the, for the opportunity for me to use my gift of preaching. Thank you so much. It brings so much life to me, and it makes a difference in my life, and also hopefully in the life of our, our church community. Thank you so much. And gratitude is at the heart of serving. It's very important for us, is to have that kind of gratitude to be grateful, to be, to be thankful for what, how God has designed us and what he has given us in terms of serving others. It says in Psalm uh, 100, verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. You don't have this verse in there, but it's a great verse. Serve the Lord with gladness. Not sadness, not madness, but gladness. Do it because you want to do it. Don't serve out of guilt. Don't serve out of regret. During the course of my sabbatical, I would, I would um, get paired up with people on the golf course, and I would learn their story. And, and there was one person in, in particular, he said, you know, I, I feel so much guilt when I'm at church. And I serve, and I do this, and it, it, he's, he's like, I, I just feel guilty if I don't do it, and I feel regret at times. God doesn't want you to feel that way. God wants you to actually have gratitude, gratefulness when you serve. And that's the example that we see in Jesus is to serve with gratitude. Well, the next thing, next way that we can serve like Jesus is to be faithful. Is to be faithful. To be faithful all the way through. To be faithful. We talk about being available. We talk about being grateful, but also for us to be faithful. John seventeen four, great passage. Jesus says this, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work. You may want to underline that phrase, by completing the work you gave me to do. What Jesus is doing, this is right before he gets arrested in the crucifixion, is that he realized he was faithful to the end. By completing the work. It's very important, it's being faithful. To being faithful to what God is doing in our lives. Be faithful no matter where you are, no matter what's happened, no matter what age you are, that you're faithful in serving God wh wherever you are. Stan Drugsma here at our church, he's a, he's a hero of mine. I, I hope when I get into my 80s to be a guy like Stan Drugsma because Stan and Eleanor 
um, experienced uh, quite a change in their lives when Eleanor uh, suffered a stroke. And they had to move from their townhouse into uh, Silver Creek, which is a assisted independent living. It was a whole change of scenery for Stan and Eleanor. But I knew this. I knew no matter where Stan was, he'd be faithful in ministry and serving people wherever he's at. And that's exactly what he does. I've had breakfast a number of times over there, and our, our uh, senior citizens, those who are retired, that uh, have a group there as well, and they meet together. But when I'm over there, it's like people walk by, and, you know, Stan's like the superstar. Everybody knows Stan because he prays for them. He shares Jesus with them. Um, he, he actually meets with them and has coffee in the cafeteria area to kind of listen to them. It doesn't matter where Stan is. Stan's going to serve. You know, he, he's not retired from serving. We're never, we're never retired from serving. Is that he's finding a way to serve those. And he has so many stories of how he serves the people, the community at that place. It's absolutely remarkable. Be faithful. Look at those around in our church who have been serving for 30 years, who've been serving this church in so many different ways. I want to say thank you. Thank you for being faithful because we would not be here without you. And we took some time during our 30th anniversary last year to talk about that. And, and I think for some of us, when we talk about being faithful, is being faithful to whatever opportunity comes up. To be faithful in whatever role perhaps you have. And maybe it's ushering. You might think, for example, where you're serving right now, if you serve, that it's really not that big of a deal. You know, you're not up on the stage singing or something like that. It's all, it's all important. And whether you're uh, helping out in the nursery or you're helping out in greeting people, you're helping out with our landscaping, or perhaps you're an usher. And you might think, I'm just handing out programs. Hey, how you doing? Hi, good morning. You know, like no big deal. Well, there's a story. A story about Billy Graham. And Billy Graham is just an incredible influence in my life growing up and still to this day. There's a story about Billy Graham. And the thing is, there was an evangelistic uh, revival going on in North Carolina. <clears throat> And these two teenage boys came there, but the, the place was packed. It was one of those tent revivals. The place was packed, and, and these two teenage boys wanted to get in there, but there, there was no chairs. There, there was no room. And this, this observant usher saw these two teenage, two, teenage boys, and that usher had a choice to make. You know, am I, I going to help these guys out? Or, I, you know, it's packed. I got stuff to do. It's too busy. And really, teenage boys, they're just going to cause trouble. You know, they're probably going to find some rubber bands, start flicking things or something like that. No, that usher took those teenage boys. He said, hey, I'm, I'm going to find you a place to sit. Do you want to be here? And they're like, yes. And he finds, he finds a place in the front row because there's always space in the front row of any kind of religious gathering, isn't it? There's always space. He put the two teenage boys right in the front row. Those teenage, teenage boys listened to the gospel. And they both gave their life to Christ. And one of those teenage boys was Billy Graham. Changed his life. Now think about that for a second. That usher simply escorting those teenage boys to the front row and indirectly impacted hundreds of millions of lives. Be faithful. Whatever your role is, be faithful. Be faithful in what you do. And I love 
that in this church there are so many things behind the scenes, people that are faithful. Like, for example, if you look in the pew in front of these pencils, you realize that Suzanne Gregory comes in here once a month to sharpen every single one of these pencils. Okay? You might think for a second, that's not very significant. Sharpening pencils. But imagine the things people write down in their communication cards. Perhaps they came to Christ. Maybe they need to meet with a pastor. Maybe they're interested in a ministry. Maybe they need some counseling. Imagine the lead that is, is expressed on a communication card and what Suzanne Gregory does every single month, making sure that these pencils are sharp so people can use them. And there's story after story of that. People who help in our kitchen, people who help in Fam Jam, the small things behind the scenes that have a remarkable difference. Nothing is ins insignificant when we talk about serving others. And right now we have guys up there on the booth making sure the sound works properly. We have tech people who make sure the slides are going correctly. And also correct me when I'm off uh, script a little bit too. You know, we have people that, that volunteer in those ways. All it's behind the scenes. And the point is that we have people that come and make themselves available and they're grateful and they're faithful. And the, que and the answer to that question about us when it comes to, you know, how, how can I serve or what can I do in this church? Find a way. Find a ministry. You're designed for ministry. You're not designed to sit, soak, or sour. But God brought you because he has something he wants you to do. And if, that's, if it's not children's ministries, that's not for everybody, or student ministry, talk to me on your communication card this morning. Maybe write down and say, I'm not quite sure where I, I should serve, but I, I want to serve somewhere. God has uniquely shaped you for ministry. I'm going to close with this. I believe this. When it comes to the end of your life, God's going to ask you two questions. He's going to ask me two questions. The first question is, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? Did you accept him in your life? So number one is about salvation. Number two is about stewardship. What did you do with the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the experiences I gave you? What answer are you going to have for that? And that's a great parable in the, in the New Testament, the pair of talents. One's about salvation. One is about stewardship. And I want you right now to be prepared. Because when we serve here on earth, when we're serving in the church, we're actually preparing for what God is going to have for us in heaven. Because heaven, despite perhaps the misconception you have, a big part of it is going to be about serving. Serving God in a, in a variety of ways. Well, I began this morning by talking about Elvis Presley. I want to close with his story. 41 years after his death, and still uh, remarkable in terms of his influence in our culture, even to, the, even to the point where a movie shows a hologram of him. But he was never really, never really satisfied with his life, as we talked about in the beginning. But an inter interesting fact about, about uh, Elvis Presley, with all the albums he sold, he only won one Grammy. One Grammy. And it was a Christian album. And some of you know this. And it's called He Touched Me. Let me read you the words from that song. After the lightning and thunder, after the last bell has rung, I want to bow down to Jesus and hear him say, well done. 
He is my reason for living. He is my king of kings. I long to be his possession. He is my everything. And Elvis searched for that significance in Jesus. In fact, when they found his body, I didn't know this until this past week, the book that was next to his body was the book, A Scientific Study for the Face of Jesus. He was searching. He was searching. Don't make the mistake of wasting your life on the stuff of this world, but actually give your life to be serving. Right now I want to pray. And as I pray, what I simply want you to do is to perhaps say in your own words, me too, if you agree to certain parts. Me too, me too. And maybe you're here and you haven't said yes to salvation. You haven't said yes to Jesus Christ. And maybe for you, you simply say, me too, when I mention that. Let's pray. Dear God, many times I put, way too many times, a do not disturb sign on my life, on my heart. I'm sorry about that. I just haven't want to be bothered with your plan, your purpose, and what you want me to do in this world. And I ask you to forgive me. Today, I open my life up completely to your son, Jesus Christ. And I want to ask him into my life to save me and forgive me for my sins. Thank you for shaping me uniquely to serve you by serving others. Help me to see interruptions. Help me to stop to serve others. Help me to make time for what's important. And God, you've been so generous and so good to me. I want to give back. I want to serve you by being available, by being grateful, and by being faithful. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, out of all God's people said, amen. At this time, we receive this morning's offering.